So this Sunday, as is pretty much true every single Sunday, there are people here who have been a part of Wellsprings for years, and there are people here who are new, their first time here, their second time here. But I bet all of you have something in common. How many of you have ever heard us use the phrase, the DNA at Wellsprings? And how many of you have ever wondered, what the heck is that? <laughs> yeah, a couple people. So I'm here to uh, solve the mystery, I hope, once and for all. We might know what DNA is in our bodies, right? Carol Breslin and our youth spirit mentors today are talking with our kids about what DNA is for us. DNA, as she's explaining it to the kids, is a map, right? It's a map for making us who we are. When we are just a little bundle of cells in our mother's womb, we have this crazy little curly cue microscopic thing that has all the instructions for how to turn this cell into a lung cell and this cell into a heart cell and how to connect it all together. It's a map for who we are going to be. And when our community got started back in 2005 and 2006, a group of people met and they came up with a map for who Wellsprings was going to be. It included our mission and our values as a community and our beliefs as a community. And last year, our spiritual development ministry, a group of members here at Wellsprings, decided that 12 years or so in to our life was a good time to check up on that map. And so they met with all of you. They offered opportunities to check in with them about what that DNA meant and whether it still reflected the emerging truth of who we are today. So the result of all of those meetings is a new document. It has our vision as a community, our mission as a community, our beliefs, and our commitments to each other. And you can find a copy of it in the middle of that hospitality table right on the back. Now, if you have been around for a while, don't worry because not too much has changed, okay? We're not suddenly a Buddhist sangha or a Jewish synagogue, right? <laughs> We've kept the core. But there are some new elements to reflect who we are today in that DNA. And when I heard as your minister that a group of people, members of the congregation wanted to do this, I was so proud. I was so proud of us. I was proud that we are a congregation and a community that recognizes that we can and we will change over time and that that unfolding is a beautiful thing. I was also proud of us because it reminded me of one of my favorite stories about church and how congregations do or don't grow and change together. It's a story from this woman up here, Pastor Nadia Bowles-Weber. You might be able to see, you might not, because the sun is actually out for once this morning. Nadia is a tattooed and pierced, cross-fitting, I think she's like six feet tall, six foot one, Lutheran pastor. She's not the person you picture necessarily when you think about a Lutheran minister. She is a former bartender and stand-up comic. She is 23 years into long-term recovery from alcoholism. She would describe herself 
a self-professed weirdo, a proud weirdo. And about 20 years ago, when she was not yet a pastor, someone in her recovery community relapsed and overdosed. And when they needed to do a memorial service for him, they asked her for some reason. She's still not sure why. The experience broke her open. She said, I looked around the room that day at a group of people who most of this country would totally write off. A bunch of recovering drunks and junkies, she said. A bunch of burnouts and dropouts. College dropouts, life dropouts, screw-ups of every kind. But she said, when I looked out at that crowd of people, I felt like they were lit up from within. Like the practice of gathering to remember our friend, the tears on our faces, the vulnerability and beauty of their heartbreak together in that moment. She said that was exactly like what Jesus did. That was exactly the community that Jesus gathered around him in the stories of the Gospels in the New Testament. And she felt that day a call. A call upon her life to bring that message of belovedness and forgiveness and belonging to this kind of group of beautiful weirdos who were just like her. And so Nadia went to seminary and she got ordained as a pastor and she started a church in Denver, Colorado, around the same time we started actually, back in 2008. She called it the house for all sinners and saints, sinners first on purpose. And it was only about three years later that Nadia, for whatever reason, had attracted a lot of attention within her denomination. And they were having a big denominational gathering at Red Rocks in Colorado, this big, huge venue out in nature for Easter Sunday, a sunrise service at Red Rocks. And they asked her to be the preacher. That same week, because of that, the Denver Post decided to cover the story. And so she woke up that Sunday morning to a story with a picture of her face just like that, all about her church, House for All Sinners and Saints, on the cover of the Post. Now, she knew that they would get attention because of this, but she hadn't really thought that through, what that would mean. And the next Sunday, she said, I figured we'd have a few looky-loos, you know, suburbanites coming in who read the post. Her church that Sunday was about triple the size it usually was. And not only that, it was different. They had always been this sort of punk DIY community, read a lot of aging Gen Xers and some millennials, people who smoked cigarettes outside before the service and made art. But now they had all these baby boomers and dockers who ate at Applebee's. And she said, it felt horrible. (laughs) And I got really angry. She said, I was terrified that the edgy, marginalized people who we had always been for would now come and see a bunch of people who looked like their parents and think, well, this is just like every other church out there. This is not for me. And if that happened, she said, I would basically lose my freaking mind. (laughs) Nadia was really scared that her church was changing, not just 
because it was changing, but because she was afraid that something core to who they were would be lost. When we here at Wellsprings decided to check in with our core values and beliefs, with our DNA, that was one of our motivations. To make sure that we made space to be flexible and change, but not to lose what was at our core. And it was fascinating to me when I heard from all of those little groups that our spiritual development ministry gathered that the strongest feedback, the most consistent thing we heard when we asked people to look at those words that we had for over 10 years and tell us whether it expresses who we are today, the strongest feedback was one thing, that this experience was not in our DNA. Sunday morning, the experience of coming together, the music, the band, the words, the dancing in the aisles and in the back of the room, the matches that don't work, that loud hand dryer in the bathroom that someone always (laughs) uses during the meditation. This, this is so core to who we are as a community. And I don't know why it wasn't written down. You know, I, I couldn't believe it either when I saw it, right? It's like it was right in front of us. Maybe it seemed like a given in the early days, and we didn't need to say it. But that first new commitment on our DNA today is the one that I want to focus on. It is the commitment to recharge through worship, to let our worship services every week motivate and sustain and celebrate and strengthen our connections, our connections to the divine whatever name we give it, and our connections to each other. Through this experience, this shared experience of song and story and intergenerational community. It's so funny. We crave those connections. We talk about that all the time here. But sometimes we do let them fall by the wayside, right? Every now and then, I will be in the back on a Sunday or standing up here and I will notice just in the back of my mind, there's someone I haven't seen. There's somebody who I haven't seen. How long has it been? A month, two months, three months? And if I have time, I might reach out to them. If I reach out to them, they may or may not respond to me and I will get worried, right? Did we do something wrong? Did I say something wrong? And then I often have to remember my favorite yoga class. Every single Thursday, Felicia is there at Wake Up Yoga in South Philadelphia, 9.30 to 11. I have never, ever walked out of that yoga class not feeling a hundred times better than I did when I walked through the door. Guess when the last time I went to that yoga class was? December, yeah. Not a year, not quite that bad. December. We all do this sometimes. We don't make the space for the things that recharge our batteries for a million different reasons. I read an article published online on Medium this week by an author named Brianna West. The article was called, Connection is a Core Human Need, but We Are Terrible at It. (laughs) We need the experience of oneness, of shared 
experiences together of feelings we can relate to, of similar ideas to the ones that are in our own heads. But we do struggle to meet that need for a whole bunch of reasons. And yet there it is, drawing us back week after week. I came across a quote this week that says a lot about how we do or don't meet our need for connection. It says, students who are loved at home come to school to learn, and students who aren't come to school to be loved. Students who are loved at home come to school to learn, and students who aren't come to school to be loved. I see some of you nodding, maybe because you are educators, because you've worked in a school. And maybe some of us are nodding because this was us. We have this insatiable drive, right? We will seek out belonging like a heat-seeking missile. We will find it however we need to, right? Like Jeff Goldblum in Jurassic Park, nature finds a way, right? Connection finds a way. This is true for some of us at school, but it happens in all kinds of other places. It happens in bars and boardrooms, on stages, on screens. It happens in church. If we don't have a sense of love and belonging that's reliable, that we can trust from our earliest days, we will still look for it. We will try to find that missing piece elsewhere. We might look our entire lives. The author of that article, Brianna, she says that most of us have some, some early experience. Whether it was prevalent or not, we have some memory of being rejected that is burned into our brains and our bodies. It doesn't need to be one big traumatic moment to live with us for the rest of our lives, though maybe it is. It can just show up as a, a story we tell ourselves or a nagging doubt that's always there that sticks. Am I smart enough? Am I attractive? Do people like me? Am I too something? Am I too annoying? Am I too needy? Am I too sensitive? Am I just too much? Can I ever belong? Can I belong here? I think that by making this our first commitment here at Wellsprings, by promising to gather and strengthen our connections to the divine and to each other, we are answering yes in a powerful way to someone. We might have answered yes to you at a moment you needed that. We are giving someone a place to find love. I still remember my first time going to a church service as an adult. First time, I didn't grow up going to church. I wasn't a church person. I wasn't interested in a great sermon. I had just moved to a new city. And I was looking to meet people and make connections. And I walked into this place here, All Souls Church in Washington, D.C. It is a big, beautiful building with big, clear windows on either side and a balcony all around the top and chandeliers and pews. It was built in 18-something-something. 
this beautiful old traditional church building. It is such a comfort to me every week that I don't remember a word anybody said that day. (laughs) I don't even remember who was preaching. (laughs) I don't remember who spoke. Uh, Nothing from the front of the room was what captured me. The memory that I carry from that day is a memory of sitting probably right back around here in the back corner, not really sure what was going on, but looking around that room and wondering, why are all these people here? It was a big church. There were a couple hundred people in that room. There were older folks and younger folks. There were people who looked like we would have a lot in common and people who looked like I would have nothing in common with them. There were people who looked thrilled to be there, singing along and clapping, and there were people hiding in the back corner with tears in their eyes. Elders with canes and walkers and toddlers running around making a lot of noise and newborn babies wrapped to their mother's breast. Why were all of these people here? They had a moment in their service, just like we do, of meditation. And it got completely silent in that room. And the moment that carries with me from that first day came out of that silence. A single voice, one person from their choir, started to sing the first line of a hymn. And then every single person in that room joined in. It wasn't, please rise and turn to this page in the hymnal. I looked around and people still had their eyes closed from the meditation. People had their heads bowed. But everyone was singing. They all knew the words by heart. It made me start to cry in that moment. Because I realized this is why they're here. This is something this community shares. They belong to each other. And I had always wanted something just like that. And suddenly it felt close enough to taste. Like maybe all I had to do was learn the same tune. The seeds of my calling of who I was called to be were planted that morning or maybe they were watered sometimes I think they were planted earlier than that but I have always been a person who really just longed to be seen and to belong to be included and so I have walked around my whole life with my own broken heart on my sleeve everywhere I go just wanting other people to be included wanting everybody to have that feeling, that comfort, and that joy of knowing that there's somewhere that they can belong. And so when we say that we commit to this here, to recharge through our worship services, we are connecting to a really old and beautiful spiritual history. It's a history in our denomination, 
a denomination that has always sought to open our arms a little wider and tried to think of making spaces. Who isn't welcome right now? Who can we welcome in for people to belong? And a history even before that, no matter how many of us are here, no matter where you have come from in your own religious life, You've probably heard that phrase from the Gospels, from the stories about Jesus, the Jewish teacher, one of many throughout history who taught us about the presence of God or that greater power in our lives. Way back in the day, he said, wherever two or more are gathered in the name of God or the divine, that divine presence shows up. The former minister of my first church, my home church, All Souls, was a guy named A. Powell Davies. He was their minister in the 50s and 60s. And when he was asked about why we do all of this, he didn't give a very traditional answer. He didn't talk about some kind of worship that we owe to some greater being. He said, well, what is church but dreams and hopes and yearnings? And what is worship but the longing of the lonely human heart? Whenever any of us gathers in the name of the heart's longing to connect, I think we are doing what we are called here to do. Part of why I like Nadia Bolsweber, that Lutheran pastor from the beginning, I think it's that in some ways we share a similar calling. She's not a Unitarian Universalist, but she also has a heart for the people who are left out. And she saw the way that people who were like her, people in recovery, the weirdos, the pierced, the tattooed, the sarcastic, the angry, the foul-mouthed, the not-safe-for-church kind of folks... We're left out of these kinds of spaces all the time. How in a bunch of tiny little sharp ways, they were subtly told or sometimes outright told that they didn't belong. And so when her church started changing and all those boomers and dockers started coming, she was so scared that her people would lose that place of belonging. So Nadia decided to call a big church meeting. She decided to call everybody together to talk about the sudden growth and demographic changes in the church. (laughs) But she confessed that she had a secret plan in mind, which was to have all of the original members, all of those beautiful weirdos, tell all of the new people what this church was really about and who it was for. And then the new people, she said, would probably just self-select out. Yet even while she was arranging this meeting, she knew that something was off, that it was wrong. And as the day approached, she got more and more nervous and frustrated. And she needed to vent, so she called up her friend Russell, who was a fellow pastor of a church that served a demographic a lot like hers in St. Paul, Minnesota. And she told him the story of what had been happening at her church and how scared she was. 
that this beloved church she had founded was being co-opted by all these suburbanites in sweater sets. And Russell listened to her, and then he was quiet for a while. And eventually he said, you know, you guys are really good at welcoming the stranger when the stranger is a tattooed, pink-haired, young transgender kid. But sometimes the stranger looks like your mom and dad, Nadia. She said, I wanted to hold the phone out in front of me and yell, you're supposed to be my friend. (laughs) But I couldn't, she said, because in that moment, I felt tears spraying to my eyes. And I could feel actual blood and love pumping through my body for what felt like the first time in weeks. When the night of the meeting finally arrived, people started filing into this big room. She said, all I could think about was what a miracle it was that any of them came to church at all. And by the time the meeting started, she said, I knew what needed to happen. The new folks in the dockers needed to tell us who they were and why they were there so that the young people with the tattoos could hear what this church was really about. But first, she said, I opened by confessing to them what my friend Russell had said to me about how sometimes the stranger looks like your mom or your dad. And after a few comments from folks around the circle, one of the congregation's earliest members, Asher, stood up to speak. And he said, I just want to go on the record as the young transgender kid who was welcomed with complete love and open arms into this community. That I'm really glad there are people at this church now who look like my mom and dad. Because I can have a relationship with them that I can't have with my own mom and dad. That need that we have to connect, it can be met in mysterious ways. And one of the reasons I love church and spiritual community so much is that the communities we find for ourselves and choose for ourselves, the communities that are bigger than the ones we happen to be born into, they give us a chance to heal. They give us a chance to find love that we thought maybe just wasn't for us or to find a sense of belonging we feared we would never have to learn from people we've never met who've lived completely different lives than we've ever known and to practice all of it week after week with song and with story and with a community that follows us out into the world and reminds us that, yes, we do belong somewhere. Amen. And may you all live in blessing. I invite you to pray with me for a moment. God of the turning of seasons, of sunshine, of new sprouts coming up out of the ground. God of new discoveries, of new relationships. God of each mysterious person that we meet. Help us remember that there is a spark of you, of that greater gift, of that greater love in this life that lives inside each one of us.
May we always remember that it's not just here for some and that it's not just here for the people we already know and love, but that it is our faith that it is present in every living being. And may we act as much as we can out of that truth and that trust. For these prayers that I've spoken and for the prayers that each one of these people carries on their hearts today, we say amen.